knowing you and loving you more. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And part of how we make disciples is, is as we gather together on Sunday morning, yes, we, we sing to Jesus as our king. We open up God's word. We want to have his word, his story shape our hearts and our lives. Uh, and then we go and we live lives uh, on mission um, uh, in, in the grace, peace, and mercy uh, of the Lord. And so this morning, um, we are beginning just kind of a normal rhythm that we have, which is typically preaching right through books of the Bible. And so we're beginning a new series this morning called Thrive, Flourishing, and Faithfulness. And it's, and it's from uh, the book, the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so we're going to talk a lot over the next several weeks, probably into Advent and maybe even early December, about what does it mean to actually have faithfulness? What does it mean to have a life that includes flourishing? What does it mean to actually have a life where you can actually experience individually, yes, as a family, yes, and certainly because this is a letter written to a church, what does it mean for a church to thrive? And even when I say that word thrive, I feel already to just in my own heart, my own spirit, just a little bit of a, of a disconnect of like, I wouldn't say that I would describe every aspect of my life as thriving. I wouldn't say that as a society in every way, shape, and form that we're thriving. I wouldn't describe um, the, the last several years and maybe even most of our lifetimes as just an unending period of flourishing marked by faithfulness to the Lord. I mean that in my individual life. I mean that in my family. I mean that in the life of this church. I mean that in our county, our country, and beyond. And yet, there is a lot of hope in this book. There's a lot of, of encouragement in this book. And some of it comes from resetting our target for what does thriving actually look like. Like it might not always be material flourishing. In fact, we'll see here in a few moments as we see how that church in Thessalonica was planted, we'll see that actually even following God's will, even following the Holy Spirit at times, can actually lead not to immediately greater flourishing, but sometimes can lead to greater opposition, sometimes frustration sometimes pain and difficulty. And yet, we'll see in these words, we'll see in this church, that we believe in a God who helps us and is with us and leads us to places of flourishing, thriving, and faithfulness. Sometimes despite ourselves, but always and often despite our circumstances. And so you might be coming in today saying, hey, I don't, I don't know that I'm thriving, and I don't even know if I want to address something like that. Then this series is for you. Maybe you're coming today and you're saying, hey, actually, no, I, man, I'm, things are pretty good. Like, why is this guy such a downer? Like, the Pac-12's like 20 and 2. You know, like, like you Huskies are crushing it. Seahawks will probably win later. Today. Like, the sun's out. These are all, like, what, what, why are you such a downer, man? I'm like, well, hey, th then this, this is for you as well. Because we'll see that the church in Thessalonica, that the Thessalonian church, was one where there was a lot of great things that were, that were thriving, that were flourishing. And yet Paul, who wrote the letter to this church, is still going to say, hey, 
There's room to grow. There's room to endure. And there's room even to, to thrive and to flourish. Um, and so... As I said, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church, um, one of the churches that he was involved in planting. And, and so we're going to spend the next, you know, 12, 13 weeks in the book of First Thessalonians. And today, I promise you, we'll get to at least one verse in First Thessalonians. But first, I, I want us to see how was that church planted? What was the history uh, of that church how does it impact us? What, what lessons are there for us today? A couple thousand years later, uh, half a world away. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So in Acts chapter 16, this is, just this, the book of Acts is the story, the narrative of uh, the birth of Jesus' church as it spread across the known world uh, and, and experienced uh, frustration, yes, but flourishing, yes, even in the midst of great persecution and great difficulty. And so Paul, uh, an apostle, a guy who's commissioned by Jesus to go plant churches, he's going around with a team of folks, and, and that brings us to um, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, says this. It's talking about the team. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, and he's urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And maybe you're like, hey, you showed up, series is called Thrive, book's called First Thessalonians, now you've got us in Acts, now we've got Phrygia and Galatia, Mysia, all these different places, right? You know, the, the Darringtons of the world, right? All these different places. We don't, even, we don't even know where these places are now. What does this have to do with anything? Well, Macedonia is the region that Thessalonica is in. And so Paul and the ministry team, they're going around, and, and, and we see here, that the, the big idea I want you to get in this section is that they were a church, and they were missionaries, Christians, on mission for the gospel, who were reliant on and responsive to the Holy Spirit for guidance. They're like, they drew up strategic plans. They had like, you know, their six-month plans, their five-year plans, all these different things. It even says here, hey, we wanted to go into Bithynia. It's great. They've got like a whole bunch of coffee shops in Bithynia, and I think there's a lake there. I don't know. It's probably gorgeous. I who knows? I don't know where Bithynia is. Maybe it's in a desert. And it says, literally, the Holy Spirit said, no, nope, you're not going there. And they're like, well, okay, I mean, what about... What about Mysia? I mean, I think they got antique shops. Like I've heard there's like, like a lot of tech money there. Like that could be a great spot, right? And, and, and it says, the spirit of Jesus said no. So what I want you to hear here is, is that when the Holy Spirit says no, it's not to the mission of God. It's not like the Holy Spirit is like, hey, you guys, you should tone it down on the Jesus stuff. You know, like if you could try to be more inclusive, that would be great. You, you know, maybe just, just talk about God in like general terms would be nice. Definitely never talk about sin. For sure don't talk about sexuality. And, and, and more than anything, do not talk about money. Right? No, he says, he says, no, you're just not going to go there. 
When the Holy Spirit says no to an aspect of mission, he's not saying no to mission. He's saying, no, I've got a direction and a purpose and a place for you. And so this team was reliant on and responsive to the Holy Spirit for direction. The church was reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction. And so they're they're hearing no, they're hearing no, they're hearing no. What do we do? And it says that Paul was met in the evening, or at night rather, by this vision of a man from Macedonia. And he said, hey, I'm, o- I'm over here in Macedonia. You haven't thought about us yet? Could you come over here and help? Macedonia was a region in crisis. Not because inflation was really high, not because politics were crazy, not because gender and sexuality was just insane, not because there was earthquakes, not because there was wildfires. The emergency in Macedonia was a spiritual crisis. They needed God's word. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. They needed salvation and grace and mercy from Jesus Christ alone. They needed a reorientation of how they saw the world to have it properly aligned with the God who made the world. And so Paul gets this vision of a guy from Macedonia. So so that's, like I said, where Thessalonica is. And so the, the, the... the missionary team said, yeah, we, we agree. We need to go there. We need to move in this place and space. Direction sought. They're like, hey, God, what do you want for us? Direction given. God gives some direction here, and then they act. And so they go and they plant churches in the region. And if you um, wanted to, you could go through uh, the rest of Acts chapter 16 on on your own, and you'd see um, that, okay, hey, wow, they were responsive to God. Like, God gave them a vision for planting churches in a region. I'm sure if God gave them a vision for planting churches in the region, that everything was going to go really well. And yet if you read the rest of Acts chapter 16, it is town after town after town of Paul and his buddies just getting their butt kicked over and over again. Just, hey, you know what? Thanks for preaching. By the way, let's throw a riot at you. Oh, hey, yeah, cool Jesus you're talking about. Uh, If you talk about him again, we're going to put you in jail. Okay, you kept talking about him again, so now we're going to put you in jail. And even in in prison in, in Philippi, like Paul preaches the gospel to the Philippian jailer, and the jailer and his family become Christians. Praise God. So I want you to know, you can be reliant and should be reliant on the Holy Spirit for direction, for guidance, for power, and know that that is not always a promise that from a worldly perspective that things are going to go well and it's going to just be thriving and flourishing from, from what our definitions of that are. Yet Paul and the team, Timothy, Silas, Luke is part of it. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He says, we are going to Macedonia. They remain faithful to the call. They're like, God called us to this place. God called us to these people, like, like, woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. And so, I want you to ask yourself, where do you need to be led by the Lord? Like, where do you need direction from God? Where has God closed and shut doors for you? And where do you need him to guide you? Not necessarily to, you know, the land of milk and honey, right? That, that's, our, that's our eternal destination but to lead you and guide you into places of greater faithfulness where he's called you to. Okay. So we see that they, you know, they're just getting just their, their rears handed to them town after town. It's rough. 
and then they get to Thessalonica, and we see that here in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, says this. Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so they've now arrived in, they're deep into Macedonia. They've gone through a few other towns and they come to Thessalonica, which was the most significant town in the region. Historians think there's probably between 60 and 120, 150,000 people. That's a big time city in the ancient world. It was a city uh, that was founded by the Greeks a couple hundred years earlier. It was, a, it was a capital of the region at one point. It experienced great cultural and economic prominence. And yet, it had gone through some decline. It had gone through some decay. Still an important spot, still at a crossroads. Um, it was a significant city, but it would seen better days. Something else you should know about Thessalonica is, is that it was incredibly what we call pluralistic. Meaning within that city, there's, there's people that worship this God or that God. And I mean, even here in Marysville, between here and my house, you can find a, a Sikh temple. You can find a mosque. You can find a Mormon church. You can find you know, people who are just, just worshiping creation, not even really knowing you know, that there is a creator. You can find all sorts. We, we, have, we have the tribe across the way with, with its own uh, religious beliefs. An incredibly pluralistic society. You and I and we, like let there be no question, we exist in an absolutely pluralistic society. I mean, we, we believe things like the soul of a man can find itself in the body of a woman. And that's our religious belief that we hold in the state of a hold. I'm sorry, that's on our whole series in sexuality that we're going to do in the winter. I'll just put that back, okay. So they're going into a society that was incredibly spiritual, incredibly religious, but just, it was okay. You do you, I'll do me. You worship whoever you want as long as we don't do anything to upset the Roman government. Let's not do anything to tick off the feds. Okay? That, that was what things were going on in Thessalonia. And they're under Roman rule. They had some self-governance, but they're still totally under Rome. And so Paul begins to preach in this city, and he, he's like, you know what? Uh, Paul has a Jewish background, in case you don't know. He grew up um, uh, being trained as a Jewish religious leader. Uh, his name was Saul. He's actually incredibly opposed to Christianity. It actually wasn't until he was on the way to Damascus that he was met by Jesus, literally knocked off his horse, given a, a new name, new identity, new mission, new purpose. We went from being somebody who was literally trying to kill Christians to somebody who was willing to be persecuted and suffer great harm and loss to plant churches even in hostile regions. And so Paul's like, let, let, me, let, me, go, let me go first to the synagogue. 
Let me go to, let me go to where there's people who, who know about the God of the Bible. They, they know about the God of what we would call the, the Old Testament. And, and let me go there and let me tell them about Jesus. And what I think is interesting, like if we're going to talk about what does it mean to thrive as a church, what are we reliant on? Well, I said, hey, we're reliant on the Holy Spirit, yes, and amen. But also, as, as Paul goes in to preach, like he doesn't lead with, hey, I've met Jesus face to face. It was after he died and resurrected. He, he blinded me, but now I can see. Like, he, he doesn't lead with, with this sensationalistic experience. He doesn't lead with, hey guys, we're here in town because of a dream that I had. Like, let me just tell you, if I ever had an experience where I believed I saw the risen Lord Jesus face to face, that would be the next like 12 Sundays of sermons. Let me tell you about his hair. It wasn't like you think, right? Like, let me tell you about his clothes. They were cool. Like, right? Whatever it is. Like, like I just, I would lead with that. I mean, a lot of places do, right? I mean, there's, there's churches you can go to, man. They want to lead you with the feels. Like, right? We got a great spiritual experience. Hey, God, God can work in and through those ways for sure. But what Paul chooses to do is he's laying the foundation for this church, for how this church is going to thrive through adversity, he starts with reasoning from God's word. He starts with scripture. Because he knows that like, like our emotions can get stirred easily. We can have experiences that, that shake us and, and shape us. But the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. And so he's leading with God's word. It says he's actually, right, verse two, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. So Paul goes to these synagogues, and he preaches a three-week sermon series on finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And I don't know what that series looked like, Maybe he started in Genesis 3 and said, yeah, sin has entered the world. Humanity's rejected God, but God has made a promise that one will come who the serpent will strike, but he will crush the serpent's head. That's Jesus on the cross where the serpent did his worst. And in resurrection, Jesus crushes Satan's sin and death. Maybe he preached from Genesis chapter 12 where God made a promise to a family, to Abraham and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, saying, through your family, through your nation, all the other nations of the world are going to be blessed. And maybe he was saying, that seed, that blessing, that's through the family line that, that gets us to Jesus. Maybe, maybe he talked about when God's people were about to um, try to take Jericho after they were kicked, uh, or kicked out of, God led them out of Egypt, and they're about to go take Jericho. Maybe he talked about how a general showed up and Joshua's like, are you for us? Are you for them? And the general's like, nope, I'm for me. That's General Jesus in the Old Testament. Maybe they talked about when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the furnace and a fourth was seen. Maybe he talks about Psalm 22 where it says, why, God, have you forsaken me? And how Jesus says that on the cross, that Jesus Christ experienced being forsaken by God for your sin, so that if your faith is in Jesus, you don't have to be forsaken for sin. Maybe he preached out of Isaiah chapter 9, where it says that unto us a son is born, 
And the government will be upon his shoulders that his universe of righteousness and peace and justice will expand and have no end. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? And the arrival of Jesus. Maybe he preached out of Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant who suffers, who by his stripes, meaning the pain he endured on the cross that we remember at communion, he endured so that you can be healed. That he that he was crucified so that you could rise with him and experience new life to, to, to flourish, to thrive, to walk in faithfulness. Maybe he, maybe he closed with Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, saying there's, there's a promise coming of the great and mighty day of the Lord, and that day is realized at the arrival of Jesus into human history. I don't know what he preached but I know that you cannot go through this book and understand what it's about unless you know that it is all about Jesus Christ. His life for yours. That he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so he's preaching to these religious people. And in just a few weeks, he'll say, hey, you've been waiting for this Christ. You've been waiting for the Savior King of your people. You don't have to wait anymore. Jesus is here. Jesus has come. Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus has rose. He's saying, hey, yeah, Jesus had to suffer. Why? Because your sin and my sin and our sin deserve suffering. Like, the, the sin actually separates us from God. That ultimately, if not dealt with, it leads to, to wrath and destruction and pain for eternity. So he's saying, Jesus suffered in your place on the cross so that you don't have to suffer for eternity. That Jesus died the death that we all deserve for our sin. That Jesus Christ rose again. So no matter what you're facing or I'm facing or we're facing from a circumstantial standpoint, we know our eternity is secure and we can endure with the present because Jesus has said that he's with us always to the end of the age. It's like there's great hope here. So I don't know what his three sermons were about, but his main point it says here is Jesus Christ is necessary. So if you're trying to thrive, if you're trying to flourish, and maybe it is going well for you, maybe there are aspects that you are just crushing it. The only way to experience eternal thriving and flourishing, Jesus Christ is necessary. Faith in Jesus is necessary. Because all roads don't lead to the same place. That Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he preaches this. Paul preaches this. And, and a church gets planted out of it. Even in a pluralistic, pagan, religious, hostile place, a church gets planted. Some of the Jewish people become Christians. Some of the Greeks, so the, the Gentiles, the people who, hey, like they got a Greek background, but they're exploring. They, 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 they know there's got to be something more than, than just the Greek gods that are always ticked off at us. And it says even some of the leading women, like, like the, the leading women of influence and, and business in the town jumped into the church plant. Like, like you have a religious background diversity. You have an ethnic diversity. You have a socioeconomic diversity all in that church. And, and, and it's awesome. I mean, like devout Greeks becoming Christians. 
Like, I mean, it, it's amazing. Not a few of the leading women. Like, like, we should be a church, yes, that reaches the marginalized, that helps serve the poor, right? That you need to know that, like, like you don't need to hit a tax bracket uh, in order for God's grace to be for you. The grace is a gift that none of us, none of us have earned. And also, they're like, it's okay for people with flourishing businesses to become Christians. Like, I praise God for Christian mayors, for Christian business leaders, Christian athletes, and, and, and people of influence. Like, that's awesome. That helps shape the culture. Like, what an amazing way that God helps equip and build his church so that, that it doesn't look like the world, like, tiered out and stratified into all these different groups, but it's actually a collection of people of different ethnicities and backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds. More people following Jesus is more people following Jesus. So we shouldn't care what their status is. We do know that, like we said, that, that Jesus, or rather Paul, is preaching that Jesus is necessary. Necessary for individuals to experience salvation, and Jesus is necessary for a church to experience any level of flourishing, faithfulness, and thriving. So church planted, things must be going well. I mean, this is, I mean, three weeks, he's got a bunch of converts. That's phenomenal. I mean, it'd be amazing if three weeks from now, if dozens and dozens of more people have heard about Jesus and placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That'd be awesome. Like, we would consider that a massive win. But you need to know, anytime that churches experience flourishing, the God's at, at work, the Holy Spirit's on the move. Know that in a world that is opposed to God, in a world that has sin, in a world where there is, believe it or not, spiritual warfare, that the church of God is going to face opposition. And that will look very different in different ways and contexts. It'll affect individuals differently. It'll affect churches differently. So let's see here in these next verses, how did it affect the church here in Thessalonica? says this, verses 5 through 9. All right, church planted, 5 through 9. But the Jews, or Jewish religious leaders, it's what that word means, were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, meaning Paul and Timothy, Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. And they've come here also. And Jason's received them, and, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people of the city, authorities rather, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they'd taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Church is growing, gospel faithfully preached, Holy Spirit empowered church, things should be rocking and rolling right away. Opposition, pain, difficulty. And yet they're thriving in the midst of it. See, that church, we, we don't know when this was. It might have been three weeks. It might have been, you know, several months later or whatever. As the church is growing, as the church is thriving, we see that, that, that it's growing. And those, are the religious leaders in the synagogue, they say, whoa, the church down the street is growing. 
They're preaching Jesus. We don't preach Jesus. All these people are getting converted. Like we used to have, like, like all the leading Greeks and all the leading women were at our synagogue. We, we had influence in the city. And now they're all gone. They, they went to the Jesus church. They don't tithe here anymore. Our budget's terrible. We've got no influence anymore. When, when God's kingdom grows, our response should be praise God and ride that wave as much as we can and say, God, where, how do you want me to participate in this? Unfortunately, what happens is sometimes when we see God's kingdom expand, we think it's always at the expense of our kingdom shrinking. If your kingdom is about you, then yeah, it, that, should, that should decrease. And so here, they're experiencing that loss. They're seeing their kingdom get smaller and smaller. And it's just really clear that they were jealous about how God was working in and through that church. They don't repent. Instead, they rebel. And then there's this awesome phrase I have to draw attention to in verse 5. Taking some of the wicked men of rabble. That would be such a cool, like, screamo band name, right? Ladies and gentlemen, we are wicked men of rabble. It'd be, it'd be awesome. They'd be super cool. What, what is that, okay? Well, believe it or not, there's nothing new under the sun. And with the rick, wicked men of rabble, they were guys that were just out in the city. They had no plan for the city's flourishing. But man, they were there at a moment's notice if you needed to stir up just a little bit of social disorder. Just a little bit of like, I don't know, could we shut down the middle of Seattle for a whole summer? It's Dangum Antifa in Thessalonica. It's a bunch of crazies and commies and criminals. And they're there. They're a renomob. And the religious leaders are like, why don't we just, they haven't stirred up anything for a while. Why don't we just give them something to be upset about? Hey, guess what? There's a bunch of people preaching out there that Jesus is king. Ooh, I don't like that one. That means, that means Artemis isn't and Zeus and all the others. And so, the non-Christians are the ones who riot. The non-Christians are the ones who get violent in the city. They have no plan for the city's flourishing. They don't care if the city thrives or not. They just, they're just there for destruction. They're a renomob. And so, like, you just need to know, like, as Christians, right, our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We had Satan, rulers, principalities, spiritual warfare. So like you're not going to see a, a headline like radicalized Christians throw massive, um, you, you know, uh, mob rule in the middle of the city. No, if you see that happening, that's not the spirit of Jesus leading it. Now, we can talk about just war theory, if there's evil and if soldiers should do stuff, and that's a whole different deal. What I'm talking about is a God who's a God of order, a God of grace, mercy, and peace. And the way that we reset society is not always through violent rebellion. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of the American Revolution, so just leave that alone, okay? But it's not just like, let's just burn stuff just to burn stuff. We want to get heard and rage. No, that's, that's the other team. That's the other team. And so what we see here is that 
They see the gospel spreading, the name and fame of Jesus growing, and that Jesus is necessary, that Jesus is king. And so they realize that they're not. And so they want to target the leaders of the new church plant. They want to get Paul. They want to get Silas. They can't find them. And before you're like, dang it, Paul and Silas, man, those guys are kind of wusses. Like if it was me, I'd be out there with like, you know, Confederate flag and an AR-15. Let's go. Like okay, Paul's like, you know what? I've kind of gotten kicked around all these other towns. I don't know that today is the day I'm supposed to be a martyr. So wisely, Paul and Silas just kind of, they're kind of hiding out, but um, the, the reality is everybody knows, oh yeah, Jason, Jason's house. Like, like you're in a town of 60,000 people, they're like, we all know where Jason lives. So I'm guessing Jason was a pretty prominent dude. They go to Jason's house. They try to pull him out. They're like, they had a small group meeting going on. So they pull out a bunch of other people who are serving in the church. And they're screaming. And they've got their, you know, their riot going on. And they drag him before the city council. And they've got a really serious charge. Hey, it's the Christians that are disturbing the peace. Hold up. You just hired Antifa to burn the city down. And now you're like, hey, hold the, the church is gathering. That's a real big no-no. Sorry, is that 2025 for us right now? He's saying, um, they don't obey the government's mandates. They're saying that Jesus is king, not Caesar. Like what's interesting is that their charge is actually fairly accurate. Like, like they're saying, hey, Paul and Silas are preaching too much politics from the pulpit. If they could just kind of like only talk about their deity, but privately and not have it impact anything else, that would be rad. Because we're pluralistic. We get along with one another. And the challenge with that is, Jesus Christ is either the king creator of the universe or he's not. And so if your faith and trust is in Jesus, you need to know you haven't just picked a God, but your faith is in the God. And so their, their charge is actually relatively accurate because I mean they're like yeah hey yeah you know how Caesar says that he's the prince of peace well actually let me tell you about who the prince of peace is and so like I know that makes us uncomfortable at times to even say the word politics and and pulpit but you need to know that every aspect of creation society every cell in your body every breath you have that is all under the domain of God and and politics Believe it or not, they matter because how politics lead to policies impact people. And God loves and cares for people. And so Paul apparently and Silas and the whole team were preaching a pretty political gospel. And it says they're throwing the whole world upside down. That's, what, that's the tell right there. See, they believe, and I think we believe, that somehow, like, like, the world's right side up now. Like, do, do any of us go through our lives and our days and think everything is perfectly in order right now? This is totally how this should be all the time. Man, we've got perfect justice. We've got perfect uh, uh, economic equality. Man, everything is going awesome. No, like, like their charge is that Christian church, they're not patriotic enough. That Christian church isn't, progressive enough or inclusive enough. And so they believe that the world as it is now is right side up. That's not the way the Bible talks about the world, though. 
The Bible says from the beginning that God created the world in a certain way, that he created it good. And that meant that you and I and we and all of us, we were made to be in relationship with God who created us. That's right side up. God is king, us in the garden, creating cultures of flourishing for for his glory, yes, and, and also for our joy. And then sin entered the world. And it's sin that actually turned the world upside down. So if we are preaching and proclaiming and living out the gospel faithfully, then it absolutely will and should be disruptive to the culture around us as much as the culture doesn't like reflect God's nature and design and will. And it should be about setting the world back right side up. That it's totally upside down right now. That we need Jesus to come back finally to turn things right side up. And in the interim, we pray as we say often, your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. Heaven, the place where everything's right side up, the earth where things are still upside down, but there's hope and thriving and flourishing as we are faithful and working with and through the power of Jesus. And so, finally, finally, Jason's like, hey, guys, um, I, I, I don't know where Paul is. I don't know where Silas is. Um, and and he, he agrees to basically pay a fine Okay, I'll pay your fine. I'll just pay you guys some money if you guys would just kind of leave us alone for a while. And and they they do. He says, and don't worry, we won't stir anything up again. How incredibly gracious of Jason and the Thessalonian church. They're like, yeah, we promise not to throw any more riots. Like y'all just did. But we could totally do that one. Like I feel like as a church, we can make a pretty good promise of like, hey, Mercy Fellowship, no riots. Like, that could be like our fourth, you know, like thing. Saved by Jesus' work, changed by Jesus' grace, living on Jesus' mission, no riots, right? That, so they make this pledge, super gracious. And in this hostile environment, the church is either gonna flourish or it's gonna perish. Paul and his team moves on. And um, uh, they, they move on, they, they keep planting churches in other regions. They send back Timothy to the church of Thessalonica to see uh, after a period of time how it's doing, what's going on. And, and Timothy comes and he brings Paul and the ministry team uh, a great update on how things are going. And that, that part of why we're doing this series this fall is, is the Thessalonian church is a church that's thriving in a ton of ways, experiencing a lot of wins, enjoying some flourishing and faithfulness. Mercy Fellowship in the last year, we've had a ton of wins. We've had, we've had a bunch of baptisms. We've had new people join our church. We have initiatives that we're pursuing. Like, there's a lot of great things happening. And there's also things that we can do to grow in thriving and flourishing and faithfulness. And so they get this report from Timothy. And then that leads to Paul writing a letter back to the church that we're going to spend the next 13, 14 weeks unpacking, starting with this first verse. I, I told you, I promised you a verse in First Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of these scripture journals. Just want to get God's word in your hand. First verse, all we'll do and then we'll close. Paul, Silvanus, another name for Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
grace and peace to you. Just a couple things I want to highlight as we close um, with this letter. Um, Sometimes, as Christians, we open up the Bible and we want a verse that's just for us. And I'll just confess, even as I go through my daily Bible uh, reading, there, there are times where I've got a reading plan I'm doing, um, I'm doing faithfully for, for several years now, almost 17 years now. And there are days where I can read the, the whole reading, close it up and say, well, that's nice. And can go about my day. And there's other days that I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that really spoke to my experience or where my heart's at or what I'm feeling right now. Thank you, God, for your word. God's word is still faithful in either of those days. But I want you to know that this doesn't say to the one wannabe Christian influencer in Thessalonica, I've got a special message for you to help you grow your platform. To, to To the one athlete that really wants to win a championship, I've got a verse just for you that you can put just right here, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? No, what I want you to know is that this is for individuals. Meaning like you're an individual, I'm an individual, like God's word is for us. It's for me, it's for you. But it's also written to be formed and shaped in a community. It says not to the Christians in Thessalonica. It says to the church of the Thessalonians. They wrote this to a church that it's really popular right now to, to, to deconstruct, and, and the halfway step of deconstruction uh, it, it isn't like, well, I think Jesus never lived, and uh, all hail Satan, and you know, you know, you know what, no. It usually just starts with, you know what? I'm okay with God, Jesus, just not the church, so I'm not gonna go anymore. I'm not gonna gather anymore. I'm not gonna participate anymore in any church. And yet there's just not an example of a disciple in the New Testament faithfully walking out faith and trust in Jesus that is not part of a gospel community, that is not part of a church. So know that when we talk about thriving and flourishing and faithfulness, it will have individual implications. There'll be implications for our marriage. There'll be implications for sexuality. There'll be implications for work. There'll be implications for for how we navigate the world around us and how we live on mission and all those things individually. But no, it's in the context of a Christian church. He's writing to the church The ecclesia is the word, the gathering of the Christians in Thessalonica, of Thessalonica. So that's what he's saying too is it's not just to like, hey, just just the Mercy Fellowship Church here in Snohomish County, but not all the other faithful churches in the area. It's like saying, hey, to the church of Snohomish County, I've got good news for you. You've gotten your teeth kicked in a few times. You've had a bunch of faithful people leave the area. And you've had more faithful people come and show up and invest. You've had churches die. You've had churches set down. You've had churches planted. You've had pastors go. You've had pastors come. And through it all, you've been thriving and flourishing and have remained faithful in a region like, like the Puget Sound that has become incredibly more and more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Particularly as it speaks 
to the societal idols of our day of individualism and sexuality. Still thriving, still going. And so he's saying, you are a church of Snohomish County, of Thessalonica. Like, this is your home. This is where you're at. But know that you are in God the Father. That your identity is in God who made you through the person and work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that you and I and we may experience grace, meaning unearned favor, and peace, meaning wholeness and communion with God that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a letter to a church defined by Jesus, which is growing and having wins, that he wants to see keep growing and keep going in flourishing and faithfulness as they continue to thrive individually and corporately, reliant on the Holy Spirit, on the foundation of God's word, enduring through all circumstances as they simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You are good for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for examples like the Thessalonian church. You've been founded in, 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 in a crucible of challenges and difficulties and yet remain faithful. Thankful for your Holy Spirit, God, guiding and leading and directing us individually and, and Lord willing, us as a church as well. Lord, I don't know the individual stories in this room, but you do. And so God, where there's, where there's walls and barriers to, to your rule and reign, God, God I, I just pray, pray Holy Spirit that you would knock those down, that you would, you would, through your spirit, lead people to greater reliance on you, repentance of sin, faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. God, that people would be renewed by your Holy Spirit, to live new thriving lives now and forever as they continue to rely and trust in Jesus.